morning, Mission Church. My name is Dustin. Our reading this morning comes from John 15, verses 1 through 13. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather, they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you that these things... I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for having me, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Yeah, my name is Colin Mattoon. I'm the ministry director for Good News Clubs of Southern Nevada. And uh, my family and I moved here to Vegas a year ago this week. So uh, it's, a, it's a good week for us. Uh, we're very glad to be here because we moved here from Ohio, the frozen tundra where it is still snowing. So every day you should just be praising God for the sun. So uh, I'm excited to get to be with you today um, because today's Palm Sunday. And uh, I know in a room this size, we've got some people who've been following Jesus for decades and some of you maybe for weeks. So not everybody knows what Palm Sunday is, but Palm Sunday is important for Christians because it kicks off what we call Holy Week. Right? Palm Sunday is the day we remember when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem and was greeted and worshipped by the people as the coming Messiah and King. Now, we know that's not how it ends the week, right? Uh, things get turned upside down pretty quickly. So on Thursday, some churches celebrate what we call Maundy Thursday. That's Jesus' last night with his disciples. We celebrate Friday, which is Good Friday, where Jesus is crucified and dies. And we celebrate next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, right? Where Jesus rises from the grave. And so it's a great week for us to be thinking about Jesus this week and all that he's done for us. So it's a special week for all of us. It's an especially special week for me. I didn't plan that. Uh, It's a special week for me, though, because it's the week of my spiritual birthday. Some of you guys know when that is for your life and you celebrate that. Uh, I get to celebrate my spiritual birthday on Good Friday. Back in 2004, I was a college student at American University in Washington, D.C. I was all about politics. That was my idol. I wanted power. I wanted prestige. That's what I was devoting my life to. And things were going well. But I also felt like there was something missing in my life. And the short story is God just broke me down of myself to the point where I knew I needed to seek him. And so I had some Christian friends on campus, and the week of Good Friday, they invited me to go see a movie with them called The Passion of the Christ. It was opening weekend. 
theater was packed. I had no idea what I was getting into. How many of you have seen The Passion? Okay, so The Passion is the movie that shows the crucifixion, the, the torture of Jesus, what he went through to save us from our sins. Now, what was kind of funny in retrospect is, you know, I didn't know anything. I just thought, oh, it's a movie about Jesus. Let's go check that out. I need to know God more. So I walk into this movie, no idea what I'm going to be in store for over the next two hours. And about half an hour when they, when they carried the second person out of the theater who had passed out during the scourging scene, I'm sitting there like, what is going on? What am I watching? This is what Jesus went through? And I'll tell you, I walked into that movie, not a Christian. I walk out, I'm a Jesus follower. I confessed my sins. I was ready to follow. And I've been following Jesus ever since. And it was seeing what Jesus did, seeing what he went through on the cross, how he suffered for us. It changed my life. Why do I go through all that for you? I want to encourage you. This week is an important week. It's a special week. It's a week of opportunity. You've all got people in your lives who don't know God. You've got people in your life that God has put in your life for a reason. So pray for them this week. Invite them to read the Bible with you this week or to watch The Passion this weekend. Have spiritual conversations. Right? Open the door to that. And God will open doors with some of them. But ask things like, hey, what do you think Easter is all about? Do you ever celebrate on Easter? What, what do you think it's really all about? Ask them if they want to read the Bible and find out. I tell you, more people are open to reading the Bible, even non-Christians, than we really realize. Studies show that time and time again. All these surveys, all these studies. John can give you one if you want it. I'm sure he's got it too. But it is shocking to me the number of non-Christians in the world who will sit down and read the Bible with you if you have a relationship with them. So all of this is to say, take advantage of those opportunities this week. Pray for it. Pray for God to show you who he wants you to share with. This is a special week for us as Christians. It is the last week of Jesus' life. So as I was trying to decide, what am I going to look at with you? What am I going to preach on? I wanted to focus and zero in on this one really important truth from the last week of Jesus' life, from the last night he spends with his disciples. So today we're going to look at Jesus' final evening with the disciples. We're going to be in John chapter 15, and it's a special part of the Bible because Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows it's his last night with his disciples. He knows that his disciples are going to abandon him. He knows that his disciples are going to grieve his death and be confused and feel really, truly lost for a few days. And so what Jesus says here, he wants to give them truths that will anchor them, that will sustain them throughout the next few days and throughout the rest of their lives after he ascends to heaven and is not with them. And he tells them in John chapter 14, verse 1, he says this, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, why does Jesus say that? Why does he start there? Because he knows they're about to be very, very troubled, right? And so he spends chapters 14 to 17 addressing their fears, their troubles, their concerns. He knows his disciples are about to be troubled and they won't understand what's happening. They aren't going to understand and they're going to be troubled about their relationship with God. They're going to be troubled and not understand their purpose. Jesus called us to be fishers of men. Now he's dead. What does that mean for us? What are we supposed to do with our lives now? They're going to be troubled and not understand, does God still love us because we abandoned him? They're going to be troubled and not understand, how can we know God? 
We knew him because we were with him physically every day of the last three years. Now he's dead and gone. And friends, the truth is we aren't so different from them, right? Our circumstances are a little different, but we have the same core questions. We have the same troubles, the same concerns. It's just me that feels that way. Right? We sit back and we wonder, does God still love me? We sit back at times and we wonder, what does God want for me? Does my life have purpose? Does my life matter? What does God want me doing? And throughout all these kinds of questions that we ask, there's really two core questions that are beneath all of it, that all the other ones flow out of. How can we know God and experience God? That is the core question that Jesus is going to address with them and that he wants to address for us. How can we know and experience God? That's what this passage is going to show us today. So go ahead and open your Bibles or your tablets or whatever you got to John 15. That's where we're going to be. And uh, we'll jump in here in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He, he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together this morning. Uh, we begin our time just praying for healing on the Lee household. We pray, God, that you'd protect them against the attacks of the enemy. You protect all of us, this spiritual family, against the attacks of the evil one, the temptations of the evil one, and help us to know you and love you. Today, God, we want to know how we can know you more and experience you more. We pray, God, that you would come and fill me now with the Spirit and speak through me to all of us, that we wouldn't just play church today, but that we would be transformed. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here in verses 1 to 8, we read of four characters, right? Four characters. There's Jesus. He's the true vine. There's God, the Father, who's the gardener. There's branches that do not produce fruit, and there's branches that do produce fruit, right? Pretty simple. Jesus was talking to people who lived in an agricultural society. We shouldn't lose that, right? Everybody in this day knew about farming and gardens. They were all familiar with all of it. Now, I'm aware for most of us, you don't live on a farm or in a garden. You're not so familiar. We live in a desert. It's hard to grow anything here. But praise God for the sun, right? Here's the deal. I know for most of us, we don't have the same kind of background that they do, but it's very simple. Branches and vines are both part of one plant, right? They are united. And that's what we need to see in the beginning of this. Branches are connected to, they're united to, they grow out of the vine. And there are some branches that they produce fruit. Those are the good ones, right? What happens to the good branches? They are pruned or cleaned. 
in verse 2, you see the word pruned. In verse 3, you see the word clean. It's the same Greek word, same thing. Now, that means they get cared for, they get tended to, they get trimmed, they get treated so that they can bear even more fruit and be even more fruitful. And then there's unfruitful branches, the branches that do not produce fruit. What happens to them? They're the bad ones. They're the waste of space. They're useless, so they get cut off. They get thrown into a fire and burned. And I think that's pretty simple, but in case it's struggling to connect with you a little bit, the modern-day analogy here is that Jesus is the hand and you are the fingers, right? Think about it that way. Fingers that work, they grow stronger and more useful over time. Fingers that don't work, what happens to them? They get amputated. And fingers were made to do something. They were made to bear fruit, right? They were made to do good works. Now, as we read this, one question you may have is, what is fruit here? That's a good interpretive question to ask. And every time you read the word fruit in this passage, you can just substitute good works there. right? Good works. He's talking about serving God, doing ministry, serving God by loving people. That's what he's talking about, good works. It's the same thing he's talking about in Ephesians 2.10 when he tells us why God made you. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So get this, fruit is you doing good works. Fruit is not the results of the good works you do. That's kind of an important distinction here. Fruit is you doing good stuff. So an example is it's you sharing the gospel. It's not the results that happen when you share the gospel. It's you sharing the gospel. God intends for us, his people, to bear fruit, to do good works. And this is what we're supposed to be doing that we see in this passage. In a very real way, it's what's supposed to define us as God's people. Everyone who is a Jesus follower can be seen and evidenced in their faith, right? The evidence of that is the good works we do. And if somebody claims to be a Jesus follower but doesn't do good works, this passage makes it clear that's a very big problem, right? Because what happens to branches that don't bear fruit? They're cut off and they're thrown into the fire. Now, let me quickly say this about the branches. Branches that bear fruit are true Christians. Branches that don't bear fruit are not true Christians who just stop bearing good fruit and they lose their salvation and they go to hell. No. Branches that do not bear good fruit are fake Christians. Right? We all know you can be in a small group, a church, in town, and you know there's people who claim Christ that they really aren't Jesus followers. They want to say it, but they aren't living it. It's not true. If you are a true Christian and you read this warning, what happens? You respond rightly. You read this and you respond by wanting to trust and obey Jesus even more, wanting to do good works even more. Because you read the warning implied here and you care about it. So listen, Christian, don't read this and start worrying and being super introspective about, oh, am I a real Christian? Am I really bearing enough fruit? Am I good enough? That's not the point. The point is what you are supposed to do is just keep following Jesus every day. Keep doing good works every day. Don't worry about if you're good enough and if you're the wrong kind of branch. Just do what you're supposed to do and follow Jesus every day. So we see there's these four groups of people, right? Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener. There's true Christians that are the branches that remain. And there are fake Christians, the branches that are removed. Now, let's talk about what this means. 
Jesus gives us a very clear fact and a very clear command in this passage, right? And it's easy for us to read these and separate them. But listen, they go together and we need to keep them together. It's crucial we see these together. So this fact that he gives us, I am the vine, you are the branches. What's the command? Remain in me, right? Remain in me. Remain in him. Some of your translations may say abide, right? If you got the ESV, it translates it that way. A lot of other translations say it that way. The Greek word here is meno. Now, I'm not a guy who likes to get deep into Greek terms, and you don't have to know all of them. But let's be honest. Abide is just as confusing of a term as a Greek word to most of us, right? How many of you called your friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever this week and said, hey, why don't you come over and abide at 6.30 on Monday and watch the championship game? Nobody talks like that, right? I don't think any of you did. If you did, come have a conversation with me afterward. I would love to meet you. Uh, but here's the deal. The word, uh, the word that we see here in the screen on the CSB translation, it's remain, right? That's maybe what most of you have in your Bible. It's a helpful term, but there's more to it than just that. So let me unpack it a little bit. The word meno or remain, it means to dwell. It means to be present with to continue to live with, or to stay around someone. So we're to dwell, stay around, be present with, continue to live with Jesus. That's what it means to remain in him. Now, if all I do is just stop there and we just talk about what it means to remain in Jesus, that's not good news to you, right? It's not good news to just give you a command and to focus on that. Because we haven't talked about this amazing truth that Jesus gives us that goes with it. Jesus told us more than just a command. He gave us this truth. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And it's easy to miss what that means and why it's so important. Because what Jesus is telling you here is the spiritual identity of a Christian. He is telling us that his followers are spiritually united to him. Theologically, we call this union with Christ, and this is crucial for you to understand. Your union with Christ is maybe the most important thing about you as a Christian. Here's how one pastor describes this. I've got a big quote. I think it'll be up there on the screen. One of the most precious truths in all scripture is the doctrine of the believer's union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The concept of being united to Christ speaks of the most vital spiritual intimacy that one can imagine between the Lord and his people. While Christ relates to believers as Lord, Master, Savior, and Teacher, they are not merely associated with Christ as the object of his saving grace and love. It's not that Christians merely worship Jesus, obey him, or pray to him, but surely those privileges would be enough. Rather, they are so intimately identified with him and he with them. The scripture says they are united. He is in them and they are in him. Listen, our union with Christ, our being united to Christ, it literally changes everything about how God sees you, about how God thinks about you, about how he feels about you. Our being united to Christ means that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus' record as your own record. And it's because of that union with Christ that Scripture says believers have been crucified with Jesus 
already? Past tense? We have died with him. We've been buried with him. We've been raised with him. We've even been enthroned in heaven with him. And it's because we're united to Jesus like this that we can know that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in our union with Christ. That's Ephesians 1.3. So what Jesus wants his followers to see here is that they are really, truly, actually, spiritually united to Jesus. That is true of you, Christian. You are in him. He is in you. You are like Jesus, and Jesus is with you, and that is true of you right now, and it will be for the rest of your life until you die. And this concept, it's all over the Bible. We just miss it most of the time. And the example of that is the passage John just read that we reflected on. Right? Did you even notice that it explicitly talks about it in there? He made the one who did not know sin to be sin, so that in him, in your union with Christ, you might become the righteousness of God. Why is this idea of being united to Christ so important? It's really because of this. It, it transforms the whole way you view your relationship with God. It really does. Your relationship with Jesus doesn't start with you remaining in him. Your relationship with Jesus starts and depends on you being united to Jesus because of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that you don't just get to go to heaven when you die. You don't just get to have this relationship with God. No, it's this. It's the good news that you can be redeemed and forgiven of your sins and become united to God himself forever. Because God, the Holy Spirit, literally will comes to live inside you at the moment you believe and repent, the moment you trust in Jesus. He himself comes to live in you and fill you and lead you and be with you forever until the day that you die. And then when you die, you get to go and live in the presence of God where you're united to him forever by being physically with him in a new body, in a new world, in his presence. And being united to God like this, it's not dependent on what you've done. It's not dependent on you being good enough. It isn't based on what you do. It's based on the fact that God is the one that unites you to himself because you couldn't do it yourself. Because God tells us by nature, what are we? We're sinners. Every person on earth is a sinner. We are rebels and traitors who reject God and flee from him. We reject God because we want to be our own God. And the result of our rebellion and rejection of God is spiritual death. We are guilty and all people deserve hell. And this is where God shows his grace to us because it's when we deserve that, when we deserved hell and to be rejected by God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve. He rose from the grave to conquer death. And when we become united to Jesus, his perfect righteous record becomes yours. His death on the cross becomes yours and your punishment that you deserve is removed because he took it for you. And you too get to rise to new spiritual life, which is what we celebrate next week. God's delight, his love, his favor, his joy in Jesus. The Father's delight, love, joy for Jesus is now his love, delight, joy for you. 
That is how God the Father looks at you right now. And the gospel is the good news that you too can be in on this. You can become spiritually united to Jesus and have a real relationship with him where all these truths are true of you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, how do you get in on that? Well, you turn away from your sins. You turn away from your rebellion and your rejection of God and you turn to Jesus. You turn to him and you trust in him today. You believe that he's God. You believe that he died for you and you trust that his forgiveness really is given to you when you ask him for it. And then what? And then you remain in him. You remain in him. You live in this ongoing relationship with Jesus where you follow him as your Lord. And here's the thing, Christian. You don't remain in Jesus to earn and keep his love. You remain in Jesus because you're already loved. You're already accepted and united to him. You remain in Jesus because it's the only thing that you should want to do when you understand that you're already spiritually united to him. This is who you are, Christian. This is what Jesus commands you to do in light of that. Remain in him because you're already united to him. And that's our first point. Point one that I want you to see and take away today. Christians must remain in Jesus because they are spiritually united to him. And I've said it several times. I'll say it again. That order matters. You don't remain to get united. You remain because you already are united to Jesus. And so at this point, I hope as you're hearing this, you feel encouraged by that. You should. Because we should be rejoicing right now that we are secure, that Jesus has invited us into a relationship and not religion. This is not a religion where you have to go and try to do a bunch of good religious stuff so that God will be happy with you and accept you and love you. That is not what Christianity is. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is you never could be good enough and God loves you and unites himself to you so you are secure anyway. And so praise God, we don't have to sit back and wonder, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Is God going to love me and accept me? Praise God for that, Christian. That's what drives us to worship at the end of this thing, right? We respond in worship. Being united to Jesus is what gives you peace. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if what I'm talking about is not true of you, if you haven't asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you haven't trusted in him as your savior, friend, you need to. God's calling you to do that right now. He's been calling you to do that the last 10 minutes I've been talking about the gospel. You aren't here on accident today. God wants you to be here to hear this because he wants to forgive you. He is holding out a gift to you and waiting for you to take it. So take it. Ask him for forgiveness. And then rejoice in the fact that God has a very clear plan for your life. He has a purpose for you, for each and every one of you. It's to bear fruit, to do good works. He's uniquely made you who you are with the talents you have, the gifts you have, the personality you have, the desires you have, the abilities you have. And he's made you like that so that you could uniquely do a set of good works that he has for you. You aren't an accident. And so we go out and we do those good works. And what happens? God uses our good works to change people, to change families, to change this city and the world. That's what God wants. So that when you lie on your deathbed, you can sit there and know you have done what God wanted you to do. 
And you know that that moment when you do die and you see him face to face, he'll look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the life that God wants for you. That's what this passage is all about. God doesn't just want us to be people who go to church once a week, who, yeah, we're a Christian, but that's not really at the core of who we are. It's just sort of something we we think about once a week. No, he wants your life to be this kind of life, a life where you bear fruit for him. Now, I know as I'm saying all this, some of you do feel encouraged. Some of you don't. Like If we're going to be real and honest with each other, there are some of you in the room, you hear me talking about this, and this is not encouraging to you. Because the truth is, your feelings don't line up with these facts. Your experience right now as a Christian doesn't line up with this. And you may wonder if there's something wrong with you in your walk with Jesus. There feels like there's something missing in your relationship. So listen, I want to get really practical, whether that's you or whether wherever you're at in the room, this is for you. I want you to hear this. We need to get really specific and understand here. What does it really mean to abide? A lot of times I hear people talking about abiding and remaining in Jesus. It just, it's kind of vague. It sounds really spiritual, but it's not clear. I want to make it clear. So let's talk about how we do this. Here's the encouraging and challenging thing, friends. It's encouraging and challenging. Remaining in Jesus is not a checklist. It's a relationship. So think about this like a relationship with a real person, with a real friend with a real family member, if you want to have a better, stronger relationship with them, what do you do? Do you sit down and write out a checklist of eight things that you need to make sure you do every day and try really hard or else you're a failure? But how often do we treat our relationship with God like that, right? We do. I do it too. You're you're not alone. I'm not some super holy guy up here who's different than you. But the truth is, we often think about our relationship with God with that wrong paradigm. Like it's a checklist, like it's a list of to-do items. But the truth is, we remain in Jesus by engaging in a real relationship with God every day. A real relationship. So yes, in that relationship, you need to talk to Him and let Him talk to you. That's why prayer and Bible reading is so important. But get why They are important. It's not because you need to check those items off a to-do list. It's because that's how you engage in a real relationship. You talk to people in your real relationships in life. Your relationship with God is no different. You need to talk to him and let him talk to you and engage in the relationship. So the point here is not be more disciplined. Follow that checklist. Read more chapters of the Bible. Pray more often. More times every day not that. Treat it like a real relationship and engage him. Talk to God. But there's more to this relationship, right? We need to see that this is a relationship that is characterized more like a parent and child relationship than anything else. And when I say child, I mean, we need to think like we are babies where we just cry out for our father constantly. I'm not saying go around just screaming and wailing like a baby. You've had enough of that, right? Uh, What we need to do is recognize our relationship with God should be characterized by daily dependence. That's the phrase that we need to live in, daily dependence on God. Every day we should be confronted with this reality that we need God. 
And this is another way that we remain in him. We seek him with this attitude of total dependence, of God dependence. And we see this in the passage, right? Look at verse four. What fruit can you produce without remaining in God? Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. This is really important, friends. One of the ways we remain in Jesus and experience him in a fuller and deeper way is through this attitude of God dependence. We depend on him for everything. We don't try to live this self-sufficient life. All right, so that's one of the ways that we need to embrace our God dependence is just by crying out to him every day and multiple times a day. And as we do that, we abide, we remain in Jesus. But there's another way we remain in Jesus too, right? Read verse nine with me. I want you to see this. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. All right, so in verse 9 here, he says, remain in me, right? No. What does he say? Remain in my love. And here he's trying to show you these two things are the same thing. Remaining in Jesus is remaining in his love. And in case you missed it here, because this is really important, how much does Jesus love you? As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. The perfect, unchanging, unending love of the Father for Jesus is the same love that Jesus has for you. You get united to the love of God for God. Get that, friends. That, that is crazy when you think about it. That is how much Jesus loves you, as much as the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love each other. And so Jesus tells you, remain in that love. How do you do that? Verse 10 tells us. It says, obey me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. We have to obey him. And I know as I say that, as you read that verse, some of you right now, you feel God convicting you. You feel uncomfortable. You feel, oh man, I know I need to obey Jesus more. You know you need to devote yourself to dealing with some sin issues in your life, patterns of sin that you've been tolerating in your life, sins you haven't been fighting against. You haven't been resisting? Listen, if that's you right now, listen, don't deny that or try to move on. Embrace it right now because that is God working in you. God is being merciful to you right now by showing you that. He's being merciful because what should he respond to our sin with? The ceiling should cave in with fire that just consumes us all. The wrath of God, that's what we deserve. And when we don't get that in this moment, and you get conviction, that's God's mercy to you right now because it's him inviting you to do what he's talking about, to turn away from your sin so that you can remain in his love. And friends, we've all got sin in our lives. We all should feel some sense of conviction at this. 
So friends, don't run from that. Embrace it. And embrace that that is God showing his love for you right now by inviting you to obey so that you can remain in his love. And the more we obey, what do we find? The deeper our experience of God and his love for us will be. So point two is this. We remain in Jesus by engaging in the relationship, being God-dependent, and obeying his commands. It shouldn't surprise us that uh, our experience of God is dependent on our actions, right? Let me be really clear about this. God's love for you is not dependent on your obedience, but your experience of his love is dependent on your obedience. If you want to continue to experience and feel God's love, you have to obey him. So again, God's love is not dependent on what you do, but your experience of his love is dependent on what you do. And that should drive us to remain in Jesus. So again, point two, remain in Jesus by engaging in the relationship, being God-dependent, and obeying his commands. So friend, listen, if you want more of God today, this week, that's where you start. If you want to experience a stronger relationship with God and experience and feel his love for you more powerfully, engage in the relationship. Treat it like a real relationship. Depend on him. Obey him. That's how we remain, and that's how we experience his love. Well, as I get towards the end here, let let me just back up. I want you to see the flow of thought here because it's amazing what happens when we do this. The the logical links in this passage are important for us to see. So Jesus starts by saying, I am the vine, you're the branches, right? He gives this command out of it, remain in me. Okay, when you do that, when you remain in him, what happens? First, you bear fruit, that's verses 4 through 8. And then what? You remain in his love. That's verses 9 and 10. Now, what's the result of that? What's the result of bearing fruit and remaining in his love? Read verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be complete. You could also read that full If you want to have joy in this life, friend, remain in Jesus. Remain in his love. And if you do that, his joy will be in you. Not just some random joy out there. His joy, Jesus' joy becomes yours and it's in you. Because again, you're united to Jesus. That is an amazing thing. I don't know if you've comprehended that before. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know I want that. I want Jesus' joy to be my joy. Amen? You guys can talk. You can amen that. It is an amazing thing. When you obey God, when you do the good works he has for you, when you know he delights in you and you feel that love and you know you're doing what he wants you to do, you will have joy, friends. And that's point three that I want you to see. When we do good works and obey God, we are able to feel Jesus's love for us and have his joy. Friends, this is God's will for your life. This is who he has made you to be. This is your identity. It is what Jesus chose to talk about on his last night, his last time with his disciples. This is what he wanted them to know because it's crucial 
And this is what we need to know too, because this is who God wants us to be. This is what he made us to be satisfied in. This is how he wants us to respond to our failures. This is what he wants us devoting ourselves to as our purpose. You are united in him. So remain in him. Do good works with your life. Obey him. And as you do that, you get to experience his love for you. And as you do that, you get to experience his joy in you. So if we go all the way back to the beginning, we started with that big question, right? How can we know and experience God? The answer is by remaining united to Jesus. And as you remain united to Jesus, that's the key to your purpose, to bearing fruit in this life, doing good works, living a life that matters, leaving a legacy that you want to leave behind. And remaining united to Jesus is the key to actually experiencing God's love moment by moment, day by day, and having the joy that you want in your life. This is what God wants for you. Verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is what he wants for us. It's this kind of life. I was trying to think of a good illustration to close it. I had a really cool thing happen this week that I want to tell you about. So, you know, I'm the ministry director for Good News Clubs. We run after-school Bible clubs in public elementary schools, really in any elementary school, including the privates. But, you know, we won a Supreme Court case in 2001 that actually makes it legal. We get to go in and present the gospel to kids every week. We get to teach them the Bible every week in a public school. It's amazing. Well, this week I got the opportunity to go to one club that we have. Is that picture up there? I can't see. Yes or no? Anybody? Okay. So this was at Katz Elementary. We've got a partner church, Good News Club does. It's Liberty Baptist Church. And this was their final party of the year. So they, they were hoping they'd have some kids come. They normally have like 40 to 60 kids who come to a Bible club. This day, last week, they had 125 kids show up. And 95 of them were there for the first time. And they got to hear the gospel, many of them, for the first time. And let me tell you, the joy of that team, I can't describe it. They, they, were, they were floating on clouds. Why? Because they were doing exactly what we read about in this passage. They were bearing good fruit. They were bearing good works. They were doing what God had for them. And they were able to experience and be in God's love for them and know that is a real true fact in the moment. And they got to have joy as they saw the fruit that they were bearing. Let me tell you, it, it was amazing. They had 90, 90 kids, 95 kids there for the first time. At the end of our uh, lesson, we always give an invitation. We do not try to pressure kids into making decisions for Jesus in any way. We actually counsel against that because we want when kids make that decision for it to be genuine. But they were careful about it and how they, how they presented it. But they said, hey, if you want to know about how you can have a, your own relationship with Jesus, how you can follow him, come with us and we'll talk to you out in the hall. They had 40 to 50 kids go out in that hall. Friends, that's what we want, right? I mean, isn't that what stirs you up right now as you hear it, as you see it? That's the life God wants for you. A life where you abide in him, you remain in him, you bear good fruit, you're able to rest in his love for you, and you have the joy of seeing him use you in ways like this. And friends, God will use you that way. He delights to do that. It's his plan. 
It's what he wants for you. So today, this week, as we enter into Holy Week, pray about how God wants you to reach out to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers with the good news that he's given to you. Do good works. Well, now we get to respond to this great truth that this is what God has for us. We're going to respond as the worship team comes. As we do get to respond in worship here in just a moment, we respond in three ways now, through song, through prayer, and through communion. And so, friend, if you're here today and you are a Christian, I want you to rest in this and celebrate in what we've talked about because this is God's wonderful plan for you. This is what he really wants to do in your life. But some of you are here and you're not Christians yet. And God is calling you right now to enter into a relationship with him and receive his love. So if you would, I'd just ask you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you know that God is calling you to trust the gospel, to enter into a relationship with him and receive his forgiveness and love, I just want to ask you to look up at me now and just raise your hand. We're not going to like point you out. We're not going to make a scene. I just want to know that that's you. All right, thank you. If that's you, you can pray this with me. This isn't a magic prayer. These aren't magic words. It's your heart that matters. But you could say this with me. You could say, Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I need forgiveness, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I trust in you to save me. I want to receive your love and a relationship with you. And let you become the boss of my life. What it means for him to be your Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.